This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a, a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. Well, I would like to welcome Corn Ferry Tour winner, PGA Tour player. I'm going to call him golf course architect as well, owner, kind of like everything golf, renaissance man, uh, Zach Blair, the <laughs> Sub-70 podcast. Uh, thanks, Pro, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're getting all the architecture stuff. I'm an architect nut, and the course that you're doing in South Carolina and how you know everything transpired to where you're at today, but... Uh, Injury, surgery, you know, sort of rehab, it's been a while. Like, what happened? How bad did it get? Obviously bad enough for surgery. And, you know, where are we at in this process? And when should we see it back in action on the PGA Tour here? Yeah, so a couple of years ago, um, I had a couple of tears in my right labrum. Um, kind of don't really know when it happened. It wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like something happened while, I was uh, doing anything that, that all of a sudden I was like, man, I think I just screwed something up. It was just more kind of, uh, I remember I was down in Mississippi playing uh, that event down there and just kind of woke up one morning and thought that I must have like slept on my shoulder or, you know, slept on my arm funny and kind of remember warming up and playing that round and thinking like, man, this doesn't, doesn't feel right. And uh, really the only reason I went and got it checked out was uh one of my best friends just had like a tear in his labrum and just had surgery and when i was kind of talking to my friends about it he had kind of chimed in like hey that sounds a lot like what i was going through you might want to go get it checked out so i uh kind of a mistake played the next week in las vegas before talking and you know talking to the doctor going anywhere to get it checked out and just you know definitely wasn't right and then found out that it had a couple of tears and, uh, you know, needed surgery. So kind of did that and, uh, you know, kind of a, a long road, uh, to recover for sure. You know, a handful of months without golfing or anything, you know, no touching a club and then, you know, kind of got back into the swing of things and then found out that I just had some like really bad tendonitis in my left rotator cuff. So that was kind of like, now I got to go fix that one and I haven't been doing anything and you know so that one was its own little journey and it was almost like you couldn't really do surgery on the left one which almost sucked even worse because it was just like yeah just go real rehab and stretch and do all this other stuff it wasn't like a oh go get it fixed up and you'll be kind of good to go again but um yeah you know been been a couple of years like you said but definitely looking forward to kind of getting things back rolling this fall. When the right shoulder went bad, was it like, could you tell something was just beyond the pain was something not right? Like horsepower gone, couldn't get through the ball. I mean, did it feel like, man, something is just what the hell is going on here sort of scenario? It was more just like a nuisance, you know, it was like, you were always thinking about it. Um, so for the, like when I found out in Jackson, you know, for the next like couple of weeks, like every swing you take, you know, you're kind of thinking like, when is it going to be really, really bad? Or when is it going to get worse? Or, you know, what's wrong? Everything like that. So it was just one of those things where you're kind of like your best bet is go get surgery, get it repaired. And, and, you know, I'm to the point now where my right one, you know, feels like great you know you're not you're not ever thinking about it um you know knock on wood but you know it's kind of back to normal which is kind of the goal right with the left one is there going to be kind of a permanent thing since they can't do surgery to to fix that is that going to be sort of a change you're going to have to do in in physio or working out a little bit more with or just really stretching it and be attentive to it when you get back out on tour is there going to be a kind of you know a maintenance change you're going to have to do to accommodate that yeah, I think just kind of taking a little better care of my body. I'm, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately a, a little too lazy and, uh, you know, I just like to golf a lot and you know, I think it was just a, a lot of overuse 
for the right one and then not doing anything for like a couple of years with the left one, really just paying attention and focusing on my right one more than the left one kind of, you know, I, I don't think helped factor into kind of where that one's at, but that one actually, uh, my left one feels good now. Um, you know, probably not a hundred percent, but definitely getting there and, you know, to the point where I'm kind of finally ready, starting to play a little bit. Um, and, you know, gonna gonna go see what we can do. With that two year break, um, and I've talked to some some guys I know on tour on this. And, you know, played competitive golf with them at their home course, and you know, great round pro. And you say, ah, oh, there's golf and there's golf. You know, this is what we did today is golf, but it's not tournament pressure, the rhythm of that, yada yada, everything that goes with. It. I've never experienced it and played on tour, but this is what I hear. So. Is that a fair statement that there is a workup to getting ready for that? And then if there is, what do you have to do to prepare? Is it do you go play some corn ferry tour events the first, you know, at first to get ready, or do you just go straight to the PGA tour? I'm ready to go and if you know, what kind of work do you have to do to get yourself in that mindset to play against the best in the world? Yeah, there's definitely like go hang out with my friends and, you know, rip around in a cart or, you know, even just like go play around and walking um, golf. And then there's tournament golf and then there's kind of like PGA Tour level golf. Um, I, I think the biggest difference is kind of like, uh, for me at least, will be kind of like the conditioning aspect of it. Like, can you go play three or four or five weeks in a row? Um, you know, you got to kind of work into that, right? You haven't, I don't know if I've played more than like two or three days in a row in like two years. So um, that's kind of the biggest thing over the summer for me, it, you know, will be kind of getting back into that grind of playing multiple days in a row, being out at the golf course, you know, all day traveling, that, that whole sort of thing. So I'll definitely go do some of the corn fairy, uh, they're called like rehab starts. I think you get four or five of those when you're coming off a major medical. So I'll go do a few of those, you know, play, play the Utah event and, you know, maybe play like the Utah open or, or something like that. And a couple of those late in the season corn fairy events and then, uh, kind of roll that right into the fall, kind of started up at Safeway. How excited are you just, do you miss it more than ever? At this point of being, yeah, I know you grew up with family golf, you've been around forever, of, of, of the game around your life forever. And is there now, like, are you just, like, dying to get back out there to compete? Yeah, it, it was really funny. Like, you know, I literally played golf, like, every single day. Um, like, probably, and that's, like, not an exaggeration. Like, play every single day for so many years. Um and then it, it was kind of wild because that um, during COVID, that was right around the time uh, I want to say that I got injured, and uh, kind of like right around the time, you know, we were having uh, uh, me and my wife were having our first baby, and then when I got hurt and stuff, it was kind of a really you know, cool timing, I guess, because it was like right when we had Charlie. Uh, so I got to spend a lot of time at home, um, you know, through that whole kind of stage of, of the pandemic and everything like that. So I, I really got a cool opportunity to get away from the game for, you know, basically two years, which was pretty wild. And there was a long stretch in there that it was actually kind of nice. Like, you know, like I said, played golf so much every day for so long and then to kind of like not do it at all for basically a year and a half was like a pretty eye-opening experience and it was definitely fun to hang out and kind of be normal and uh you know spend a lot of time with the family um but i would say over the last like two months it's been you know really like wow i'm, I'm really really excited to play golf again which you know, that's kind of what you need, right? You need to drive and you need to be, you know, you need to want to do it and yeah. want to be able to go out and try and get better and, you know, practice and everything like that. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you back out there again as well. And, uh, you know, we have to get into the architecture portion of it. So um, got to ask you the tree farm. 
the history, how do we get here? What vibe are we going to kind of go for with this club? You know, what's going to be the, de- the, the design philosophy? Like, what should we expect? If we're fortunate enough to get to play it once it's open, like, kind of give me, what are we going to walk into with this thing? Yeah, kind of how we got there. I, you know, I obviously tried to do it out in Utah for a handful of years and, um, you know, just kind of wasn't working out. Um, you know, the more I learned about it, and you know, the more kind of details and the further along you get, you kind of, you know, basically the rubber meets the road and you got to figure out if, if, if it's going to work or not, like the numbers. And it just wasn't kind of where it needed to be for Utah. So, um, that was again, kind of really right in that like pandemic, you know, window time frame, and, uh, kind of didn't have like a ton going on. Um, well, you know, the PGA tour was, you know, not happening at that time and, uh, started looking at other places. And, um, one of my good friends, Andy Johnson had kind of been down in the Aiken area and, you know, told me how cool the property was down there and the land and the sandy soil. So I randomly just started looking kind of around the Southeast United States, just, just knowing um, the the seasonality aspect of it and kind of the soils and, you know, it was more just kind of like curiosity and playing around. And, you know, then I found a pretty cool piece of property and kind of had my eye on it for a little while. And, um, you know, during the pandemic kind of like hopped on a plane with a handful of friends and went and looked at it and was, uh, kind of like, wow, this is pretty cool. Maybe we should see if we can get our hands on it. And was fortunate enough to be able to do that with, with a group of friends and, uh, yeah, then then it kind of took off and, you know, got pretty real pretty fast. So it was another thing kind of during this whole break that was a, a nice thing to keep, you know, basically keep me sane, keep me busy basically every day kind of working on this uh, throughout the surgery and kind of the rehab and, and that whole time frame again it allowed me to work on a, a cool project and yeah, it's pretty awesome to see it, you know, getting grassed right now and hopefully be done over this summer and kind of opened up next year. So that's been really fun and, you know, got a really good team of people helping me out. And, you know, it's it's been really neat to, to be a part of it. But the golf is, you know, is awesome. The, the property's really cool. Um, so much unique uh, stuff happening out there with with all the individual golf holes just just feeling like they're going to be so cool and so good so um you know it's a destination golf club you know members from basically all over the country and you know a bunch of international members too um so i mean the vibe is really just uh you know a, a relaxed place where people can come with their friends and have fun Sandy-based soil or sand, right? How how important is that element to this? Because it seems like all of the great ones have that in common, right? There's there's a sand base to it. So is that absolutely kind of vital for the vision that you had for this, that we have to start at least with that and then the right piece of topography, but we can make it work if we're dealing with a sand base? Yeah, the sand, you know, the sandy soils are just important, I think, from a, a budget standpoint, you know, not having to bring in a bunch of material, uh, you know, for drainage. And, you know, obviously if you can get a piece of property with good movement and good topography where you're, again, not having to move like crazy amounts of dirt, you know, the numbers just work out better. So, um, yeah, it was like pretty key for, for us to, find a a piece of property like that and you know the first time I went there I definitely thought the property was cool and you know it seemed like it kind of kept getting better each stage we got to and now that there's like golf in the ground um yeah I think it's better than you know I or anybody else would have ever thought that that it would be and you know that's kind of a a testament to Kai Golby, you know, the, the main shaper out there and the guy kind of, uh, you know, leading the charge, kind of building it and kind of a testament to Tom, uh, Doe kind of doing the routing and getting it 
you know, pretty dialed and uh, just kind of the whole entire crew, you know, we got a bunch of really talented shapers out there. Like I said, Kai and uh, Matt Smallwood and Aaron Sullivan and, um, you know, I know Ben Warren was out there for a while. He's back in Japan, but uh, yeah, it's just, just really cool, cool team that, you know, is kind of putting their heart into it and making it really special. Uh, I love playing golf out in the Sandhill region of Nebraska, and I think the cool part of that is, um, you know, the holes were just there, right? They they don't take a whole lot of, yeah. you know, you can just from, you know, uh, uh, the holes just kind of naturally from from talking to, uh, I remember at Dismal River, so talk to the guys at Nicholas who designed the white course, and obviously Mr. Doak did the red one out there of just letting the land sort of, you know, be, and then you just sort of shape as minimal as you can and let the, the land sort of dictate that. Was there, was that concept available for you at the tree farm, the sense that there were holes that, that were kind of God made already? You just had to tweak it a little bit, uh, or, or did you guys have to move some soil on a pretty, pretty regular basis to kind of get the shaping that you wanted? Yeah. I mean, kind of, uh, it's funny. We were just talking about this the other day, uh, me and Kai, we were having dinner, but yeah, so the tree farm, like to start out like blank slate, you know, the golf was all there. Um, you know, like every single green sits at grade basically. Um, you know, there weren't a lot of like crazy, crazy big earth moves. Um, besides like the 17th hole, we kind of like excavated the whole, you know, front part of that green out or or like in front of that green um and took it somewhere else to you know build a pond or whatever the dam in the pond but other than that like you know the holes were just kind of sitting there uh but to take it like to the next step you know the guys like kai and and matt and amen and, and the whole crew you know they still spend a lot of time out there doing the little things and getting the little contours right and and everything that takes it from kind of like the start to the finished product still is you know so much detail work that you know it's not i i think there's this kind of misconception in the minimalist like architecture world that yeah that hole is just like sitting there and it's kind of like yeah i mean it was for the most part but they still do a lot of work um, to make it look like nothing was done. Right. That's kind of like the biggest compliment for those guys is, you know, I heard Kai talking about it the other day, you know, some of these architects are like, yeah, you know, this hole was just sitting here. We did nothing. And, and some of the shapers are kind of like, man, I like, I like push dirt on that hole for like a week and a half, two weeks, like getting all the little things right. So it wasn't like it was, it was really just sitting there, but you know, the, the bones were kind of there. Right. So, the template was there. You, know, you knew what, yeah. what kind of hole you're going to make out of it, or you could see it. Yeah. It just yeah exactly. Exactly. So that's kind of, you know, that was the cool thing to learn and the cool thing to see and the cool thing to be a part of during this whole process is the bones for 18 golf holes, like very minimalistic golf holes were there at the tree farm but also to see these guys, you know, really, really like put all of their focus and, and attention on the little things to make it even better, uh, you know, has been awesome to see. Is it tough to say like, that's enough? Like, I always think it'd be hard if I was designing a whole, like, and you're shaping, like, how do you, like, no, no, no. All right. I got to move this a little bit more here. Is it, it's got to be a tough thing when you're out there for like Kai to say like, okay, that's it. We're not yeah, shaping anymore. Yeah, I've got sure. it. Like we're going to, we're, we're moving on. I think it'd be a very yeah. hard thing to have to work on a thing for that long and be like, that hole is complete. Right. And I guess there's always tweaking yeah. golf courses over time, but I always think it'd be a very interesting thing of saying like, when is it done and when are we moving on to the next hole? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I learned, I also learned that kind of really early, you know, Kai talking to some of the other people, you know, some of the other shapers, you know, really saying like, that's the key, honestly, is like, when do we, you know, when do you say that's it? Um, 
you know, cause you can kind of just keep doing it forever. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's not necessarily uh, a case where it keeps getting better the more right. you do it, right. you know? So, you know, the really good ones just kind of know when it's right. And, um, you know, Kai's obviously really good. So <laughs> I think he's making a lot of good calls. I know you tried to route it yourself or thought about doing it at first and then bringing in Mr. Doak. Like, what made you decide, like, all right, I, I think I've got an idea, but let, let me call Mr. Doak, get his opinion. And then when you have that much experience and in the courses he, you know, he's built speak for themselves, it's brilliant. What was that like to work with him of seeing what he saw that you may have missed just because he has so much experience doing it to get the best routing out of that piece of property? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, like you said, I tried to do it, um, myself for a while and, and not, not necessarily myself. You know, I had other people, um, you know, helping, but, but, uh, you know, it was something that I was really close to and thought, um, I wanted to at least give it kind of a, you know, a crack. Um, but then kind of the more that, uh, some people got involved, um, that I trusted a lot, um, and, and the more they kind of, you know, were kind of shepherding me to get some, some help from some really experienced people. Um, that's kind of what led to Kai. Um, and then when I was working with Kai, he was kind of like, Hey, do you think we should call Tom? Like he's the best in the world at this. Like there's nobody that likes this more. There's nobody that knows more, has seen more. Like, you know, he's really, really, really good. Uh, at, you know, and, and specifically he's really great at this aspect of it. You know, we should at least see if he would want or be willing to help out. So I had kind of set up, you know, a, a call to talk to him about it and see if he'd be interested. And, um, you know, fortunately he was, and he kind of, you know, put the ball in my court, uh, basically like I can, you know, point you in the right direction on your routing and try and, you know, help you with that. Or I can do a few holes and you can kind of link those together. Or I could just like do a routing, like, you know, which would you want to do? And I kind of passed it back to him. Like, you know, what, what would be the best for you? What would you want to do? And he was kind of like, well, I love routing golf courses. Like, you know, I definitely see my career, uh, you know, if I have the ability to, to maybe do some consulting or stuff like this where I can just route golf courses and help out that way, you know, that'd be really cool. So I'd love to, you know, try it out. So um, that was kind of a no-brainer for me, right? Uh, you know, arguably, you know, the best yeah. person in the world at that at that, uh, you know, thing and, you know, Tim saying that he would want to do it, I, you know, I jumped all over that opportunity and yeah, it was really cool. You know, again, like when you are close enough to be involved in those decisions or see how, uh, you know, someone again, that's like the best in the world is doing it and learning from it and seeing that it, it was, it was really cool for me who, who was very interested in, that part of the process to kind of see the, the decisions and why those decisions were made. Um, so that was very fun and very cool and a big learning experience, which was, which was great. And, you know, it, 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 I mean, he did a you know, better job than, than I did. Right. So, it, you know, it definitely wasn't like a detractor to the, to start the process. Right. It, it was um, something that, I felt like I could always find cool holes. Um, you know, I had never done a golf course or done a routing before, but I was somewhat familiar with the topo map and, you know, I was familiar enough with the property to know, you know, what certain areas were. Um, and, and like I said, I felt like I could always find cool holes and I felt like my routing had a lot of really cool holes and I think they would have been really, really good. But, there were certainly areas in my routing that got to a point where it was like, okay, how do I get out of this area? You can to get kind stuck, of get... right? Like, okay, this exactly. is a great hole, yeah. but like, oh, 
okay, now what? And and then do you make a mediocre yeah. hole to get you back? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of like, you know, when I was doing mine, it wasn't necessarily like, okay, I have to like go do this mediocre hole and this bad hole or like whatever. It, it was just like, okay, I got to connect this to that to get over to this area again where I think I know that a good hole, you know, could be built where his just didn't have any of that, right? <laughs> his was yeah. like, you know, squeezing every last drop out of the towel of like good hole after good hole after good hole and using all the really cool parts of the property and making it all work, you know, without any wasted, uh, you know, wasted spots, you know, in the 18 holes. So um, that's, that's kind of like the the huge main big difference, and you know, I uh, I got to be a part of it, which was <laughs> you know pretty neat. Well, two parts. I think it's sometimes underrated of how important routing is, right? It, it, you know, it's not the sexy part of it. Wants to see the holes, but man, to make them come together, it's like such an integral part of that golf course. And then my my second, I guess I'm just giving an opinion. It's not really a question, but. I'm guessing you would agree with that portion of it. And part two is how much different was Tom's routing than your routing when you guys were done? Like what you had in your mind versus him coming in and doing his thing. Yeah. I mean, the routing's, uh, you know, equally as important as, you know, if the golf holes are one side of it and the routing is the other side of it, like neither of them can be as good as they can be without the other being good. Right. right. So it's, and and it's and unlike the golf where you know like you said earlier where it's always getting tweaked and always you know you can always make little changes or little edits, not really with the routing, right? It's like if you go this way, uh, you know, especially on like a, a, a property that has like mature trees like in a forest, if you go clear a bunch of holes. Like you can't just be like, ah, you know what? Like in a couple of years, maybe we should not do that. It's kind of like you, you're kind of set. <laughs> so right. it is right. really, really important to kind of get it right. And and honestly, that's kind of really what led to you know bringing Tom in and bringing Kai in was you know like I said, those people, uh, you know Will Smith and Colin Sheehan and and David Margolis, you know some of these people like in my inner circle that were just like, this is a big deal. You know, let's make sure we get it right. Like this is the best person in the world. Like if he's willing to help out, let's yeah. go. Like get him to help out. Um. So yeah. And was it was it was it some similarities of what you guys what you thought it would be, or were you surprised how much he changed the routing? Yeah, so he didn't want to see mine to have, like, he didn't want any preconceived, like, ideas of, you know, where I had green sites. Not that, you know, not that they were, like, um, groundbreaking by any means. Because, uh, like I said, I had never done it before and didn't really understand fully, like, you know, the, the best way to do it. Um, but, we, you know, looking back, like, there were definitely some areas um that we had some similar stuff, like some similar green sites or, you know, some, some similar fairways and everything like that. And that was kind of my point was I could find cool holes, you know, that wasn't the problem, but like how do you make 18 cool holes and not, you know, 14 cool holes with four connector holes or or whatever. Um, So, you know, if you kind of overlay the two, there are some similarities and then there's some, you know, big, big differences. And, um, like he just used the land so well. Um, and just, I took it on like very head on and all of my stuff was very bold and, you know, like straight up and over some hills and my walk would have been like 10 times more challenging than, <laughs> like 12 than miles what he would have yeah. yeah, yeah, like not not much longer, but just like straight up and down, right? Where his is just kind of using the land so well, just like how you would kind of like walk it if you were out there, um, just like going for a walk. It's it's not a challenging walk at all. Um, and, and, you know, he's going up and down and around and everything, but not like like mine was like straight up the hill and straight down the hill. And, 
uh, his is just kind of like traversing up the ridges and, and kind of, you know, falling down and like working around the bowls and everything like that. Um, so, it, you know, it, they were a lot different. His is a lot better, but um, it was fun, you know, to at least, you know, there were a couple areas in there that when we got out there for some site visits that we made a few tweaks and, you know, I helped here and there. So uh, it all worked out. <laughs> When you're building the course too, like, how do you make it work or for you to find it challenging at your skill set, yet, and without making the hole just 100 yards longer, right? Like, uh, you know, all right, put a tee box yeah. back. Besides doing that element, and a member who's going to be a 12 handicap, like, how, is that easier than people think, harder than people think to let you go out there, enjoy the course, it plays different all the time, and that higher handicap golfer being able to have that same challenge, but not just simply doing it by adding length. Yeah. Um, you know, to lead off, like, you know, one of the things and me and Tom and everyone involved, you know, talked about that a lot was like, how do you, you know, make this enjoyable for kind of like all different levels? Um, you know, and one of the things Tom said, you know, kind of from the very beginning was like, Hey, this is like a, this is like a really, good piece of property and you know there are some areas out here that are just very um you know dramatic or bold or whatever and he was like your clientele uh you know will uh respect and understand if you do some bold things um and, and not having to necessarily try and cater to uh you know, like a, a higher handicap person, like your higher handicaps that are members, like understand golf architecture mm-hmm. and appreciate golf architecture. So just go make like the best hole that you can instead of worrying about, you know, is the 12 or 15 handicap going to be able to play this? So there are certain areas out there that are just, you know, pretty bold. Um, you know, there's some bunkers out there that are like, pretty bold uh but that was more just because that's what the property offered um you know and he kind of said early on you know when i asked him like you know what does the property remind you of and you know he was like there are some areas out here that are like you know pine valley right you know like that's a hard golf course Mm -hmm. you know uh and you know they just accepted that at pine valley and you know and built a hard golf course (laughs) you know and because they knew that the people that were going to be playing out there like understood that and appreciated it so uh that that was definitely like a, a shifting kind of moment early on where early it was like how do we make this like very very playable for like high handicaps but still challenge like good golfers and kind of shifting that to like let's just make the best golf course we can and not really worry about anything else. So, um, you know, it's, it, it, it is playable, very playable off the tee, big fairways. But again, like I said, there are some areas out there that, uh, like some bunkers and, you know, around some greens or whatever that are kind of like, you know, not that easy. So it'll be fun. But I agree with you. I think, I think the clientele you're going to get joining that club, they're, they're, they're going to be there for those dramatic golf holes. And if they are a little bit higher handicap, I think they're going to get it, right? You're not going to get, yeah. you know, the once-a-month golfer who's not fully into it, right? And if they get their teeth yeah. kicked in on a hard day a little bit, I think they're probably going to be okay with it, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes yeah. sense where you're going at with it. Uh, you brought up the Buck Club earlier, out in, you know, the project out in Utah. Do, do you think if this proves itself, which I'm sure it will, and if it gets the accolades and the membership, does this still kind of lead to potentially doing something in Utah? Because, I mean, Utah is growing. And I, unless I'm wrong, like I don't, there's not really like a top 30, 40, 50 golf. Is there a top 50 golf course that you would say in Utah, which is like the topography is so beautiful out there. I'm surprised there's not. But is there is it, is it time to kind of bring a, a really – in, you know, in time, the next five, ten years, is, 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 do you think the market then will it, it will be viable to build something like how you probably envisioned out, you know, where you're from? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think you can do it. Um, it, it the, the problem, like, in Utah especially is just, like, the property, uh, you know, 
like fairly big state, but like concentrated to, um, you know, like let's just say within an hour and a half of Salt Lake City, right? Yep. There's like once you get outside of that hour and a half, there's a ton of land, a ton of you know really cool places to build golf courses, but uh, like unfortunately, there's no people. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think you could go build like a really cool destination golf club somewhere. Um, and you know, there's definitely room for it, and I definitely think it, it could happen. Uh, but I'm not sure how. Um, I'm not sure exactly how it would work out. That that was like one of the things for me, learning about just like the seasonality of of Utah, right? It's like spring, summer, fall um, for North America, where it's harder, I think, to get people as a destination golf club to come somewhere for that season in Utah uh, because it's it's nice where they're from, right? It's like people from the Northeast or people from, you know, Florida or people from California or wherever, right? They're kind of like enjoying where they're at in the spring, summer, and fall. Uh, their golf course, their home course is like ready to go. You know, all the all the events are happening right then at their home course. Uh, you know, where then you just all of a sudden close down like in November and you don't open back up until April in Utah. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of something that drove me to the you know to the southeast was pulling people out of the snow to come to warm weather and good golf. Right. seemed easier than like pulling people out of, you know, warm, good weather to come to, you know, different warm, good weather. That and that's really kind of what led, uh, you know, to the, to the shift with TBC of like, if we can do this, which I certainly think we can, like maybe it's more of the Sweetens Cove, like public model. And that's just much, much more like dominates Utah golf is that public scene. Um, so I think it could be a really cool opportunity, uh, you know, to do something on the public side, uh, in Utah. And again, because like so many of the people that supported that vision and that brand, you know, uh, would be able to just like play at any time. And I felt like that was, that was cool. So that's definitely where I'm leaning with that whole sort of thing. And, um, definitely excited to kind of, fulfill that and do that kind of as the next step. And I, I certainly think that when people see what the tree farm is and what we were able to do and, you know, how some kid, you know, in his thirties, you know, was hopefully able to pull this off and, and do this and make a really cool place. It, it, it might give me uh, a little better chance for people to kind of buy into that in Utah. But, but I'll flip it around on you, right? Like I said, you know, I, I spend as much time as I can out in the Sand Hill area. And, I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere, right? Like, I'm nuts enough I'll drive the 11 hours to go play golf for two days out there. And Dismal's full. I mean, obviously, Sand Hills, you can't get in. They're just building Cap Rock up there, which will be private exclusive. Um, Dormy Club's building a, another. So you got these, if the golf is good enough, Right, this is in the middle of nowhere. Talk about a short season. It's a short season, and yeah. um, there's going to be five or six private clubs out there. I think golfers are nuts enough. Where if the golf's that good, and I think the public model like you're talking about could be a great app. I love the idea of Sweetens Cove, but I still think if it's good enough, golfers are nuts enough. Man, we'll drive, we'll drive. Even if the weather's good here, like if it's great, people will appreciate it and go see it. But I think you could do it with the public segment of it as well out there. But I'm always amazed that, you know, they're building another one out there. I'm like, this is literally in the middle of nowhere in the shortest season you can imagine. And they're all full. It's pretty crazy. You know? So yeah. Like, golfers are sick. Nebraska, Nebraska's got, like, I would say, obviously the soils are, uh, like, perfect out there. It's yeah. ridiculously cheap. Uh, like, Utah's not necessarily like that um in other areas and it seems like you know it is in the middle of nowhere but you also have like seems like just a little bigger pull from kind of all around you to be able to get there a little easier yeah 
exactly. Denver, right? Um, I mean, you get Omaha, Lincoln. You're right. There are Minneapolis, South Dakota. There is a yeah. I, I mean, yeah. You definitely, you definitely could do it. Like I said, kind of leading into that, I think it's definitely doable. I think there are places you can do it. Um, I just don't know if I want to do it like that in Utah anymore. Um, you know, it's just TBC definitely kind of like, it just changed, right? It was just like, uh, you know, it was just different. would rather do something public or rather do that, that kind of avenue. But I, I certainly think, you know, you could pull off a really cool private club. Uh, I just like, uh, it's, it's so wild in Utah though. It's just, there's nothing, you just can't get any, there's like no property around that's not in the mountains. And if you go in the mountains, it's just like ridiculously expensive. You yeah, know, you go up in the park city areas and yeah. everything. That's just like insane. You know, it's just not, you know, you have to have some, you know, billionaire people doing this. And, you know, I, I certainly, um, you know, can appreciate why, uh, you, you know, you don't see many golf courses built the way the tree farm is built. Uh, you know, usually it's a billionaire, you know, kind of, kind of pulling the strings and writing the checks. And I, I definitely have learned why it's just kind of way easier, right? It's like something's a little over budget and it's just not as big of a deal when you can do it all yourself. Um, you know, <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I think it can be done and hopefully someone will do it. And, you know, maybe I'll be a little bit of a part of it, but, uh, TDC definitely probably not going to be, be, you know, that private model. Hey, the public can work too, right? Like, how cool would that be? It's still, you know, building something out there that you've dreamed about doing. And you just put, a, you know, in life we call audibles all the time. You yeah, know, flip yeah, around, totally. and, and if that if that's what it is, it's still, you know, you know, you're going to make a great golf course if you're associated with it. So I definitely think it's cool if you go the public route and let people play it and enjoy it. And if that's sort of the like what works out there, I mean, it has to make financial sense. So I get exactly where yeah. you're coming from. Um. Your favorite golf courses and architects, if you're, you know, from a player's perspective, what's, what's some of the, your favorite courses you've gotten to play and what architects do you just absolutely get, you know, excited that you get to go play this architect's golf course? I mean, for me, you know, it's kind of easy. Like you get, you get going, you're talking about your like Pine Valleys and your Cypress Points and, you know, the old course, you know, those are just like fun fun places to play i think you know mckenzie i think was really good like cypress point it's a really cool routing you know you kind of go on in and out of different kind of envelopes of of the property with the dunes and the forest and the ocean and everything like that and i think you know recently i've been a big fan of uh, harry cole was was lucky enough to be able to go over with a with a group of friends to uh, London and go play a bunch of those Heathland golf courses and yeah. you know, see a bunch of bunch of really cool places. Um, yes, I would say I would say like Pine Valley is my favorite place. Uh, it's got cool architecture and it's also uh, like really challenging. You just feel very accomplished if you play well there. And uh, you know, as like a professional golfer and you know a, a good player it's it's fun to be tested on that level um and then on the flip side of that you know probably my second favorite place in the world uh you know national golf links up in long island is just like so much fun right i feel like you could take a plus handicap a scratch handicap and like a 10 handicap out there and you'd all go make a couple birdies and you'd all have fun and uh, you know everyone would be having a good time um so those are those are probably two of my favorite places. You know, big Seth Rayner, Stevie McDonald fan. Um, you know, so any anything that those guys do, I, I usually kind of enjoy at least going to take a look and play in those places. What's your favorite Seth Rayner? I mean, he, yeah, I would probably maybe like Chicago Golf Club. It's pretty good. Really, really yeah. cool set of greens. Like maybe my favorite in the whole world, just like one through 18, all the greens out there, just like really, really cool. Um, I felt like he did a, like a lot of his greens, um, 
you know, like big green complexes for the most part, but just like so many tenable places to, you know, to change it up from day to day. And you can just completely change a golf hole out there based on where the pin's at. Um, so that just kind of like maybe off the top of my head, but I, I feel like he was like pretty involved at national too. Um, so you know, those are, those are a couple of my favorites. Is there a few golf courses that are on the hit list you have not gotten to play yet that once fully healthy next couple of years, you're like, I'm going to go play X. Uh, Terry E.D. is probably like, you know, number one, I think a handful of years ago, it was kind of like right when it opened, but me and a handful of friends were down in uh, Australia and it was like kind of an option to be like, should we, you know, we'd been down there for like, a couple of weeks um and it was like should we go over to new zealand and play and we were kind of like nah like it probably can't be that good right like it, it can't be that good to like change everything up for a couple more days and spend all this money and now looking back it's kind of like man what a what a yeah. stupid call especially <laughs> with like you know tom and kai being involved in this project and yeah just it just looks like such a such a cool place, but but honestly, maybe it was a good call because now you know Tom's got you know another course going in there, and Cole Crenshaw have the the second course that went in there. I think Tom's new one and Bill and Ben's new one is like the resort like public too, and then Terry Edie's the private one. So you know maybe go back there in a couple of years and play all of them, which you know probably probably a pretty good call too. You, I'm assuming you got to play all the stuff on, uh, on the, in Australia of, of Royal Melbourne and all the stuff on the, the, the sand coast there. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would are, love to. Yeah, ridiculous. Like the golf down there is insane. So fun, just like proper golf. Uh, you know, short grass all over the place, just firm and fast, and it's just really cool. Like uh, you know, playing like Kingston Heath really you know not small but you know like compact and you know really cool green complexes just like just all of it is really great and then comparing that to like going and playing like the championship routing at royal melbourne it's just like the, the scale is just grand and big and you know the the differences of those two places but both of them being just like world class and then um yeah we had a pretty solid lineup down there like played Kingston Heath, uh, Metropolitan, uh, Victoria, popped down and played both the courses at Barn Bugle, uh, played both the courses at Royal Melbourne. You know, we played a lot of cool stuff out there. I, I would like to get back. You know, I know they're playing like the Australian Open and stuff down there in, in uh, Melbourne again. So that'd be cool to get back there. I want to play. Um, I don't know if it's called, uh, it's the one that, um, Ogilvy and that whole group did, yeah. uh, like, God, what's the name? Yeah, I, I, I know what you're it. talking about. King, Those guys are doing some, uh, doing some uh, nice Peninsula work. Kingwood. Yeah. 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 It was like, it was basically like two clubs and they sold one of the club. They like two cl clubs joined together and they sold one of the properties and the other property basically had 36, you know, I don't know if they were good, bad, indifferent, whatever, but basically they sold one of the, the courses and uh, like did a whole housing development or something like that and used all that money to go like redo all 36 holes at the other facility and they just look insane. So cool. Yeah. And they got another one down there somewhere, like, you know, an hour outside of, of Melbourne that looks so cool too, called like Lonsdale Links or something. I don't know, but there's so much cool golf down there. I didn't get the chance to play St. Andrews Beach, which is another um, you know dope course that looks really really cool too. Um, but yeah, the golf down there is awesome. Highly highly recommend if you get the chance to go down. Oh yeah, I've never talked to anybody who's gone and done that trip who kind of comes back and goes, eh, it's okay, not worth. It. Everyone knows yeah. about it. I yeah. Mean, Exactly. A uh, couple, two favorite, you know, one or two best golf courses on the PGA Tour. Is there, is there a couple that really stand out to you uh, from being out there like, this is damn good? 
you know, to, uh, it's it's really, really, really solid. Yeah, I mean, like Riviera is like ridiculous. Um, that one, I'm trying to think what else. They don't play too many good ones <laughs> out there. I used to really like Nearfield uh, Village, you know, Jack's place from a like tournament golf standpoint. Yeah. It felt like there was some, you know, uh, from the professional side of the game, you know, like a water hazard is like a deterrent, right? And it's like a lot of like the traditionalists don't like that, and, you know, you know, whatever. But from like a professional like lens, there were definitely some holes out there that, um, you know, if you took on the hazard and you, you, you played bold shots and you, you executed them, you know, you got like a huge reward where if you, you know, play away from the hazard or play away from certain pins and hit mediocre or bad shots, you know, you're like severely punished. So, you know, from a, from a professional lens, I always kind of enjoyed playing out there. I haven't seen, I haven't played the tournament since they've redone like all the holes, but uh, like the holes that were redone prior that were not like some of the original ones. He's always like tweaking that play. Yeah, he's always doing something. It. It's like evolving constantly. And it's like, it like everyone that like every time it changes, it seems like it got like a little bit worse. Like all the holes that were like, uh, really old and all the greens that were really old were so cool and just like big sweepy contours like a lot of slope and then all the new ones were kind of that newer like micro contour a lot of pin locations you know and it just seemed like they weren't nearly as cool as some of the other ones and now it seems like the entire course is like that since this latest re- you know latest renovation or redo or whatever so it'll be interesting to see what what that's like and how different it is but i I, you know i did always enjoy uh playing tournaments there and then um man what else colonial is pretty cool i'm excited that uh, i don't know if gil's you know doing the redo there if that's kind of on hold or what but that place is always like pretty cool like small ball you know just got to execute and you know do a bunch of good things but like i said i don't know if there's necessarily too many good golf courses out there that's kind of why i always try and sneak off on a monday or wednesday and go play somewhere good do do, do you play the tour event at the core crenshaw for the byron nelson oh what the hell is the name of that golf? oh yeah yeah trinity forest yeah Yeah. how was that yeah that was it was awesome like that was yeah that was uh, a lot of guys complain about it like it was weird. Yeah, like they I, got a yeah, they got a kind of raw, you know, raw end of the deal. I would say, uh, you know, it used to be at Four Seasons, TPC Four Seasons, which yeah. is, you know, so corporate. And I actually, that was a course where a lot of people like said they didn't like as well. But I actually, you know, thought there were some cool holes out there, and and it was fun from a gallery standpoint. It was in a really good spot. They got massive crowds. Yeah, you just like people parting their tails off out there. It was pretty cool. The hotel is um, right there. It's easy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. It's just like the whole, the whole place was like evolved and built for like that tournament and the tournament golf. So when it moved to Trinity, which is like way outside the city, you know, just not built for spectators, uh, you know, not a tree on the property and it's hot and, you know, everything like that. And then, you know, the golf course is like built to be firm and fast and play, you know, play like that. And the tour is not built to play like that. Right. They, they like, you know, it's an entertainment product. They like people playing good. They like the stars being happy. They like, you know, they like to conform to a certain box and Trinity is very much outside that box. So they did everything they could, you know, to rein that place in, unfortunately. Uh, and it just couldn't shine really the way that it was meant to, which kind of sucks. So, you know, they, they kind of quickly went away, which, which is too bad. And, um, Cause I actually, I think I played at least twice there. Um, 
maybe maybe only once, but I think twice, and it was it was really cool, um, but didn't work out. I was hoping you were going to say our fifth major here, the the John Deere Classic. I thought you'd have TPC Deer Run at the number one spot. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that event. I, you know, had had a lot of had a lot of fun out there and um, had some good good times and. They always treat the players really good, and they always have the course in really good shape. And you know, if they can dodge some some thunderstorms, you know, the course is pretty cool and definitely has has some fun stuff going on. But um, I actually played the, the Davenport Country Clubs. Pretty that's sweet. a good golf yeah. course. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the best one around there by far. It's not even close. <laughs> yeah. That's in our ballpark. Yeah. And that place is beautiful. Yeah, yeah really, really cool. Snuck out, snuck out there a couple of times. Well, that or the heat, if you get out there too, if it doesn't, if it doesn't rain, you know, like a monsoon, it's about a 103 degrees with about 90% humidity down <laughs> by the river with that, oh man, I've gone out there and watched yeah. that, it's our home tournament, so we still go out there and watch it, and man, you're just sweating bullets following the group you want to follow out there, it's brutal, but great people, and I always said for that event, it's cool, because you can go out there on a Thursday afternoon, and you can really watch a group yeah. of professionals up close of how do they take apart that golf course? And you can watch every shot. You're not fighting 9 million people. You know, it's nice people. It's a good crowd. And you can get up close and really watch how you guys can kind of dissect a, a, a golf course, you know, and in, it's, I know it's not the, the greatest golf course in the world, but it's a solid track. And to see you guys, you know, yeah. winner shoots 20 under par, like, that's insane, right? If you watch somebody yeah. play that golf course from all the way back, Greens are rolling, the roughs up compared to normal, and go, you know, go shoot a sixty-six that day. It's it's it shows how good you guys truly are, you know, even over the yeah, I'm always when I go watch the event, I've played that golf course enough, it's always like the difference between a touring pro and a good amateur is literally night and day difference. And watch one round up close and you know, <laughs> you'll see it. It's we're not playing yeah. the same game. <laughs> it is very different. I, I you know. It's crazy how good those guys are. I mean, it's just like... How good you guys are. You're they out just, there. <laughs> they just know how to golf, right? They just, yeah, like, they just... know... The difference is uh, they just know how... Uh, when nothing's going right, they can play good, right? They, they know how to score. They know how to, you know, just manage the game for the most part, at least, like, the really good players. Um you know, they can kind of they can go shoot sixty eight, sixty nine when when they don't really have anything working. They can just kind of manage, um, and then when they do kind of get it clicking, you know, they go shoot sixty two and sixty three. So that's kind of that's that's the big difference. Like a you know, a really good amateur needs their stuff to be clicking to shoot sixty nine, sixty you know, yes. sixty nine, sixty eight, seventy, and when it's not, you know, they go shoot three, four, five over. Uh, and like I said, the good guys, uh, you know, when it's not clicking, they shoot 68, 69, 70. And when it is, they shoot 61, 62, 63. So, um, it's crazy. It's crazy how good people are. (laughs) I always go out there and appreciate it, right? It's, uh, it's fun to watch up close, which actually this goes into my last question here for you. Speaking of good amateur golfers, you mentioned them early, Andy from the Friday. I always loved the podcast when you guys were on there together. And I've been fortunate enough to have him on the podcast and he's a really good guy. So my final question, let's assume and he's got some time to practice. You have to give him three aside. Can he compete with you? If you give him three aside, he's got a little time. He's not in the road. He's grinding. He's jazzercising. He's lifting weights. He's running each morning. <laughs> he's eating healthy. Can he compete? Three aside, does he have a chance? I'm not saying he's going to beat you with three aside. Does he have a chance? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And okay. He's really good. Um, yeah, he's like, you know, when he gets it going, you know, he, yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, is that too I many think, to give? Is three? Is that too generous? Or like, if you're if you're having a match with them, where are I mean, I I don't think I don't think I would beat them. Like, I think it would be like a fifty fifty, right? Like, I feel like he would get me, uh, you know, sometimes, and I would get him sometimes, you know, giving him six shots. Um, if I was playing good, uh, and he was playing good with six, I mean, I feel like he would probably beat me more often than not uh he's like you know he's like legit he's legit like 
if he gets playing and practicing, I mean, he's not going to shoot like much higher than, you know, 72. So I got to go shoot 66. Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like I can do that, you know, but I can't like not play good. Right. I actually met Andy for the first time at, at the John Deere. Um, Really, he's out there. He was just out there covering it and bumped into him. And I think he, you know, he he drove out like specifically to to write a story about uh, you know me trying to build PVC, and uh, yeah, that was kind of like the the first like interview about the project, about what I was trying to do, and he was kind of the one that that brought it to the light. <laughs> oh, how cool is yeah. that, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden yeah. you're building your club down South Carolina <laughs> story and it turns out. And he was also and, he was also the one he was also the one that was like, Hey, like I'm out here having an event at Aiken Golf Club, like the the properties out here, like seems like there's some cool places out here. But he's he's always he's the guiding light. Yeah, the, the stars have aligned. Well, shout out to Andy. If he can compete with you against a tour player three aside, I know he's a good player, but that's you know, Andy's holding his own, so <laughs> Shout out to the fried egg on that one. Hey, man, like, Absolutely. I really appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this conversation, you know, and, and good luck with, you know, getting back and playing at the PGA Tour, you know, and getting out there and also with the projects you have going on. I can't wait to see, you know, read about the course once it's fully open, but I know it's going to be great. Like, you know your yeah, stuff. Yeah, and you have to come down and play it. I, I would <laughs> love to come down there and see it at some point and, um, but I know it's going to be fantastic. Like you brought the right crew in, you know, with that topography, it's going to be great. I can't wait to see it. So thanks so much for your time tonight. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.